the psychedelic experience really can offer an understanding of things you like to resolve or even product or businesses you want to build, especially entrepreneurs from the West Coast who we perceive as the most creative and the most daring ones. I really can see how psychedelics help them to create a vision. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Speak Like a CEO. My name's Lena Carlson, and I'm here with Oliver Oust. Hey, Oliver. Hey, Lena. Psychedelics are back, and thanks to scientific discoveries, there are high hopes that psychedelics will help treat depression, addictions, and other categories of mental illness. Now, science is one thing, obviously, but building a business in this area of psychedelics is still highly controversial and illegal in many countries is definitely a challenge that requires very sophisticated communication. And our guest today offers exactly that. And Philippe is the founder and CEO of The New Health Club, a platform and community in the emerging field of psychedelic wellness and treatments, and, and is definitely a trailblazer in this field and a highly interesting person. She also brings an impressive pedigree as a journalist to this venture. For instance, she interviewed Hollywood stars and rock stars like Amy Winehouse for Vanity Fair, Vogue, GQ, Deutsche Zeitung, and many else. Hi, and welcome. Great to have you on the show. Hi, nice to be here. Very excited about this. Thanks for the great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so we were very excited to have you. And what you posted on Instagram, uh, your outfit of the day, and the caption read, dress as conservative as possible yeah. if you have psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just want to ask you about that. That's so, so interesting. Yeah, actually, that that's very interesting you asked that because it's something that I experienced in the last two years since we started, well, I started a new health club is that you actually are able to convince more people that this might be a possible new way to treat mental health issues worldwide if you come across as a, I'm not going to say Republican, but a very conservative, rather conservative person. Um, let's say the, the coat I was wearing in the picture is from Hugo Boss, and it's the classic, super classic collection. So, And I think if I would dress like some like a let's say like a laurel canyon hippie witch for example then i think most people would still have the old narrative in mind which is that uh, psychedelics were only around in hippie times and um, were just there to party and go crazy and basically if you're a rock musician you would be on psychedelics and i mean it's it's super interesting that as and i also i heard this so many times from people in america that For example, MAPS, the great organization that is um, actually doing research and, and working on MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, they always also said the moment Republicans would actually speak out for psychedelic therapy and science, like half of the people in the room would be like, oh, okay, so there has to be something to it. <laughs> so, and there was a little joke that I, from now on, going to dress conservatively to convince as many people as possible. I mean, maybe let's take a step back um, yeah. from convincing people that psychedelics are the way forward. Yeah. Um, could you maybe talk us through your own journey to uh -huh. founding the company um, and what kind of instigated you on this path? Of course, yeah. So, I mean, I had done, I think, like 15 years of psychotherapy. And to be honest, nothing, none of these therapies helped me to address topics that I had to address in my life and kind of early childhood trauma and other things that kind of um, came forward, especially after 40, I have to say. So, and then I read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. And I started to research in 
various cities, but of course also Berlin, how I could kind of experience a psychedelic, like, yeah, trip or, or therapy. But I was definitely interested in the therapeutical aspect and not just go somewhere and just try it out. And so I haven't done anything like that before. So I found a psychiatrist in Berlin and um, I undertook with him a guided LSD experience, which was not legal, to be honest. So that's why I thought, okay, this can't be the moment right now to, to engage in rather illegal things because that's also not what I stand for with the company. So, and then I found um, two psychedelic retreats in Amsterdam, one of them called Synthesis, and I engaged in Amsterdam and Netherlands legal psilocybin experience. And that was in 2020. And I realized that all my topics that I was working on or I had to work on really came in a way to me in that therapy, in the way they were actually, let's say, addressable and workable on. And I had never had that experience before in a non, let's say, non-psychoactive talk therapy. And I think that made me so interested. And um, I mean, in my case, you could say from a personal journey convinced that I really wanted to build something around that. And so I started a podcast, The New Health Club, and um, was really lucky to be able, especially in 2020, to bring the topic into a new kind of yeah, public opinion also. That's, um, that's how I started, actually. How would you describe public opinion and, and the opinion maybe of, of regulators and decision makers at the moment in Europe? So what, what's your starting point that you're trying to change and, and where you're trying to educate people? Yeah. Well, I mean, as we as we said earlier, in, in terms of the, the conservative outfit I wore, um, is that I, I'd say that most people would still, if you if you walk down the street and ask somebody, what do you think about if you hear the word psychedelic? So most people still would know the story of the 60s and hippies and Timothy Leary and Richard Nixon making the substances illegal and people going crazy, um, spending their life in psychiatry. Like, let's call it like all of them kind of horror stories. But what I also learned just a couple of years ago is that there has been already long tradition of research i mean let alone that albert hoffman developed lsd in the 40s where there was no hippie development at all at that time and i think that kind of narrative to change that narrative into something that tell will tell people okay if you engage in assisted safe legal and vetted psychotherapy combined with psychedelics that could actually make you benefit greatly from these substances. I mean, that's the short version of changing the narrative. And in terms of a legal question, of course, let's say the, the good thing right now is that in the whole new psychedelic world, there are tons of scientific studies that are happening right now. Pretty much every country now, Germany has now three studies, at Charité in Berlin, and I'm sure there will be more. There's so many clinical studies starting that I think the legal aspect and also in, in a political context, which we, of course, will experience, especially ne next year, the, the new context, I think there will be at least changes happening in terms of uh, therapeutical use. And again, like, I mean, it's, I think it's important to say this, that that has not so much to do or nothing to do with recreational use. Um, but still, we should also say that at the moment, the Netherlands are basically the number one country in Europe that has 
kind of it has has on offer a certain amount of truffles this is how they call it there the psychedelic mushroom that are actually legal in the country but only in the netherlands so it's a very interesting situation that i think we will look into a few changes in destigmatization but also in decriminalization, which is, by the way, also a different thing than legalization. And, uh, and of course, if we look to the States, this is what's already happening there very, very strongly in the last since the last year. You've spoken to a lot of people on your podcast about this topic. And also as a journalist, I guess the conversation has come up. But what are some of the key things that people are saying in terms of kind of trying to propel this forwards? Um, you know, like what what is the most convincing argument? You mean the most convincing argument to bring psychedelics back as therapy? Is that what you mean? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the biggest um, kind of argument is, of course, the incredible mental health crisis that's happening on a global level. And there are a lot of investors I talked to really were interested before the COVID crisis into this. But now, actually, everybody sees the numbers coming in and sees that it's even like the amount of people suffering from anxiety, depression, even like a mild anxiety or like a feeling not well during most of the time. So these numbers have doubled actually since 2021 or since the COVID phase kind of started to double these numbers. And um, I think that most people who really got into the space and scientists, VCs and founders were really impressed by how high these numbers were. And not only in terms of, oh, we can make a lot of money out of this, but basically that this would be for most people and including myself, suddenly came across as the, the biggest kind of, yeah, you could say um, the biggest crisis in, in, in the Western or in, in the, actually in the global world that we're talking about. And I think before COVID, we paid attention to this, but I think since the lockdown last year where a lot of people really suffered and their mental health problems became actually stronger again, if they could handle the problems before, they couldn't handle it anymore after COVID. So that's one thing that people really kind of talk about a lot about these numbers that we're facing and the opioid crisis in the States, of course, that is connected to the whole mental health crisis there. And the other thing is that, and I find that very interesting, that it seems that a lot of people who are suffering from depression and anxiety have kind of lost certain things in their life. This is also what's often coming if I talk to scientists. So they, they lost their connection to nature. They lost connection to other people, which, of course, again, was increased because of last year. They lost their sense of self-worth and they lost their sense of purpose. So, and these basically, these four things are mainly anyway, the strong triggers for depression. And that's something that a lot of people actually keep addressing in, in the podcast, that this is almost like a, yeah, you could say like a modern disease. If these four things are missing in your life, you're very prone to depression. Your, your outline, which messages work, and I'm completely with you, that we need new, better tools to fight the mental health epidemic, which just gone, you know, gotten worse over the last couple of years. Have you come across messages or tried messages that simply do not resonate when it comes to psychedelics? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, most people, I mean, I, I think there are two things. Most people have are really afraid they would do something that's against the law or they do something illegal and then they would be punished for it and, you know, it would be in their kind of biography at one point. So that's something where you really need to get into details sometimes to talk about decriminalization or legalization. That is a very different thing. And then, of course, the biggest emotional thing that people think of is, I could go crazy and end up in psychiatry, to make it short. That's exactly the next, um, one of the biggest tasks in the next two years to really develop education, let's say, um, content around the topic that really shows you that under specific circumstances, you would not be actually harmed with psychedelics. And, and again, saying this means also that a lot of people who are applying for treatments and therapies, if they are already on antidepressants at the moment, it would be still very difficult and sometimes impossible to bring them into a psychedelic therapy context. I think there are many questions, many very detailed questions that have to be answered on a yeah very different and very specific level to specific, let's say, I'm not going to say customers, but people who are actually suffering from depression and want to look into that. But I think the most important thing is to take away the, the old fear around these substances that we actually learn so much about in, in movies and in media and um, yeah, kind of, you know, crazy rock stars who kind of overdose. And, and also that's another thing that most people would say, oh, I never do psychedelics because then I become a heroin addict or something. So also the actually uh, what substance is actually doing to you and which is which, um, that's also something that most people never really aren't got informed with correctly. And just since we're talking about this, I think a really good book uh, to read into this and also into how this has affected the war on drugs in America and worldwide is Michael Pollan's new book, This Is Your Mind on Plants where he really talks about how plants that we used to use in our culture as a normal kind of plant and not as a drug have been turned into drugs and the other way around. For example, like he talks a lot about caffeine, how we think, okay, drinking a coffee, it's a normal thing. But how caffeine actually can work in the same way as a drug that is on a schedule one right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What I was wondering is you spent a lot of time in California, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess probably like when we think about using psychedelics and genius and entrepreneurship and creativity and business, I think one of the examples that clearly comes to mind for me is Steve Jobs, which was actually quite a mm -hmm. proponent of it. Um, and I think he was maybe crucial in changing the narrative for a certain subsection of people, in particular, wannabe entrepreneurs. Um, what, what are your thoughts actually on that? Um, and then to kind of segue into basically the book that you wrote. Well, I mean, let me first talk about the, the California aspect to this. I mean, I think it's very interesting the way Steve Jobs talked about his engagement in LSD, because What's super interesting to me is that he says, basically, he, after taking LSD and having this vision and this idea how what Apple could be, he just didn't go ahead and, and build a computer. He created the whole universe. And he saw, today you would say, how the brand 
would actually look like and how the world would look like that he would be able to create with that product. Similar a little bit to Elon Musk, who just last week or two weeks on a conference said that people should embrace psychedelics as a tool. So, I mean, I think the psychedelic experience really can offer an understanding of problems, of uh, things you like to resolve, or even products you like to build or businesses you want to build. It offers you very often an incredible insight and visions that you would definitely not have without these visions. And some people even say, okay, I, I got my business plan in a <laughs> psychedelic trip. So it's possible. I mean, because as we know, you don't know what you're going to see. But I mean, I'm really, I really can understand that, especially entrepreneurs from the West Coast who are often, you know, we perceive as the most creative ones and the most daring ones. I really can see how psychedelics help them to create a vision that is maybe not the ones that you would just have without a, a support system to open your mind and to open your subconsciousness to other things and other questions and other solutions. And uh, coming to the to the book you're mentioning, the novel, there was actually, <laughs> it was not about Silicon Valley or me being in Silicon Valley. It was actually about a time in Berlin that I had experienced where a lot of people did a lot of drugs in that time. The book is an, I mean, it's it's a very different life that I describe in this. But one thing that I would say is very important for me in this book is that I learned, I think, the first time that I was very, very prone to codependent relationships with people who did a lot of drugs. And I did not really know where this all came from. That's why I wrote a book about it, to become clear what I was actually doing in these relationships. Yeah, I think it was a very important step on the way to psychedelic therapy for me, because the questions I had in that relationship, I was always not able to answer in, in talk therapy. So, and I think I wrote down the first time what what was really wrong in my relationships at that time. I mean, you, you've expressed a lot in your writing as an author, as, as a journalist, a speaker, TEDx, and so on. Yeah. But now you've become an entrepreneur. How, how does you know your, your your background as an author and journalist inform you being an entrepreneur? What what, what can you take away from basically being a professional communicator for being an entrepreneur? I mean, I think the most important thing is, and I think about that a lot, is that you used to do everything on your own. <laughs> so, so there's no there's hardly any person um, that you, in the beginning, can call and say, oh, would you do this? Would you do that? And we're talking about the beginning now. It's like later on, it changes, of course. But since I was a reporter, meaning if I had to go to do a story somewhere, it was just me and maybe a photographer, but sometimes not. So I made the calls, I talked to people, I just cold called people, which as a journalist, you don't even think it's cold calling because that's what you do. You just call people you don't know or you meet with people that you never met. So, and um, that's, that's also, I think, what you do as an entrepreneur. So I think the best thing, the best takeaway is that you have less boundaries than other people, I would say, because you don't have the time to have these boundaries because the story has to be ready in like 30 minutes or the next day. So, and I found that, for example, something very, very helpful. And then also, it's just that you 
another thing is it's interesting that again and that's especially in the beginning you spend a lot of time on your own because you're the person who figures out the thing who figures out the podcast or the and later the, the company so and also as a reporter that's also something that you're used to you just you never have like millions of people around you you're just the person in a hotel room writing the story yeah. these two things seem to be like sometimes challenging for other founders but i was totally used to it okay you're also master master storyteller and i wonder if that you know helps you for instance with uh developing the business and and pitching to investors potentially yeah, because if yeah. they see the bigger story behind your, your sort of initial offering that should certainly help absolutely and i think um i mean we talk about psychedelics as, as compounds or substances but of course the stories that how people really got better because of the treatments or the therapy are super emotional stories. For some people, it even meant um, they would have killed themselves if they wouldn't have had psychedelic therapy. I mean, if you just look at the video that, that Mike Tyson uh, released a couple of months ago about him engaging in 5-MeO-DMT and just being not suicidal anymore after this. It's very important to, especially, let's say, with venture capitalists or people who are just getting into this and thinking, oh, it's all about drug development and uh, something that has happened before drug development. But the real stories are often people did not kill themselves because they were able to access psychedelic-assisted therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, could you speak a little to your uh, sort of how you use storytelling with investors or what, what investors' uh, reaction is? Yeah. And I, I know you raised some money. We were introduced actually by, by one of your one of your investors. Yeah. Said, okay, this is our <laughs> most out there investment, but you know, yeah. very, very keen to, <laughs> to, to, to support you guys. So be really interested to it because that community can also be, it's not the easiest to deal with and, and to communicate with. So I, I was wondering what your experiences were. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a really good question. I mean, I think. One really important thing is that I was very open with my own story about this. Also saying that I was also at a point where I couldn't really imagine what else I could do with the things I was facing or needed to work on. So, and, and very early on in the, in the podcast, I, if I talked to scientists or doctors, I, I also, I always talked about my own psychedelic therapy. And I think that was something that a lot of investors that we talked for early, very early on also in the beginning, they didn't seem to have that experience very often with other people pitching to them because most founders would tell them, well, look, here's an interesting, super interesting industry. If you invest in this, this will be like a billion dollar market because so many people are suffering from mental health. I feel like a lot of them never talk about themselves. So, and of course, then some people then at the same time would say, yeah, but it's exactly what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't be too personal in this, in your storytelling. You shouldn't be too personal in your pitch deck and so on. But I always felt that if you talk about this in, in a very, let's say, reasonable, right way, people actually would actually trust you even more because, you know, they, it's also a confirmation that you would not just be in this thing because it's just the next hot thing after i don't know crypto and, and cannabis so oh now now everybody's into psychedelics so i think the the personal aspect in storytelling and you, storytelling can also mean pitch telling or like pitching to somebody 
is something that I feel has a really strong impact on, in, in doing so. And uh, I also heard from a couple of, especially angel investors, who would say, well, if somebody has a personal relation to what they talk to, it's already something that makes me even more interested in, in them. I love that. I think having that personal aspect is so important. Yeah. It's very interesting. I think like from the background and what you've been doing, there's such a personal aspect to it as well. It's not like a, a traditional business in the sense in that you just do it for what seems like profit-driven purpose. Um, there seems to be something bigger behind it. What would maybe be your best advice to other entrepreneurs or people that are wondering how to pursue something that they are very passionate about? It's really, it's always the same. I always, I would, still say the same after two years don't wait that's just the only advice i would ever give because you all so often in situations where you oh i'm just gonna wait until this is happening or this person might be interested in me or in my business so and that's the it's sometimes not very easy to detect this but i think then you're getting better in it and then just don't wait I mean, this would be my number one advice. <laughs> that's really, that's really great advice. Uh, right. you know, what's wrong with now? I think it's, it's always what I, what I, you know, yeah. I tell yeah. myself. Exactly. And, and that's probably also something, again, coming from, from journalism that, um, or being a reporter, especially because the, the window you have sometimes, I mean, do I talk to this person? Do I approach this person? Like five, four, three, two, one over. So. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really interesting. It's really ingrained in my um, brain, I would say, in my system, that if the person is in the room that you want to talk to, this you can't just wait another five minutes. You have to go now. Love it. <laughs> you interviewed so many people, Hollywood, and you know the music business. Yeah. Was there anyone who who really inspired you on this on this journey? Or you mean on on the psychedelic journey? Or yeah. Or entrepreneurial journey or just as yeah. a human being mm -hmm. well i mean one one per, like two very different people but both from california um like one uh natalie massenet she founded i think natapote and she has now a vc fund imaginary i think it's called i interviewed her when she sold natapote but then she opened something created something else I had an app actually a natapote app so that's why i had the chance to interview her And um, I thought it was so um, interesting to see the way she kind of had come up with this because she also started on a kitchen table um, with a computer and two kids and she created a really big name and a really big brand. And then, of course, one person I had interviewed, but in times of Hollywood, which was not a nice experience, it was Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> so, but now... I have not interviewed her, but now she is one of my biggest inspirations, I have to say. And the reason why is because with Goop, which is a very interesting structure for me to study, and also in terms of the New House Club, the inspiration comes because she really took a topic, which in her case is like female health, and that was not very well communicated in, in the last 10 years ago, And brought it really into a space where people or women could be open and just really engage in a open conversation. And, and everything she did was really good looking at the same time. So I, I felt that was very interesting to me. And this is something that I a little bit try to do with the new health club that 
obviously the conversations around mental health and um, yeah, I mean, not only mental health, but just, you know, problems that people have with their mental health or with, with their minds and um, their therapists and they can't resolve this and that. So the possibility to be very open about these things and at the same time feeling like, okay, there's a certain aesthetic that I'm interested in that I like. If these, these two things come together, I would even go into this place even more than, let's say, into your typical yoga studio with, you know, the, the typical yoga language on the wall. Because that's something, I, by the way, I also realized that a lot of people who are interested in psychedelic therapy are not necessarily coming from a very specific over-spiritualized background. Because in the beginning, I thought that would be that would be totally the case, but it wasn't. Then another person, the third person, has really been uh, Jeff Bridges, <laughs> because I had three long conversations with him, and I thought like he was already I don't know just what was that like ten years five years ago it was the last interview, and I thought the way he really opened himself up to so many things in life kind of meditating and just really looking into his, I don't know, just his persona in Hollywood at the same time, um, not taking that Hollywood persona so so serious. So so that was another really important person. So the, I would say these three interviews were like really something. And again, the, the Gwyneth interview itself was like one of these horrible press junkets. But um, again, like today, to me, she's really my number one inspiration, I would say. I also wanted to bring up Gwyneth, um, especially yeah. her new Netflix series coming out, which yeah, goes yeah. into a couple of these things um, and things like ayahuasca, which have like never been talked about in mainstream yeah. regular media, mm -hmm. so to say. Um, and so whether you love or loathe Gwyneth, which I know lots of people do, yeah. I think it is super yeah. interesting to watch like what's unfolding at Goop. Um, so I think that really yeah. like rounds off um, the conversation nicely, what we're talking about today about, you know, breaking, you know, breaking down barriers and entering new markets and, you know, creating a new narrative, as we talked about at the start, about something like psychedelics yeah but i think it's not only i mean of course there's obviously a huge market that's coming and there will be there will be a waska pharma pharma based on ayahuasca pharma based on lsd and psilocybin but i think it's really a much bigger thing and that's why the, the group comparison i thought i saw that in the same way is that really this the way of how people talk about their mental health and i mean if i compare this to the times where I was a journalist, there was no conversation whatsoever about this. I, and even remember, like, sometimes people, like, disappeared and uh, then somebody would say, oh, yeah, they just went to, to, took a break or something. And then later on, you would hear they went to re rehab or they had a nervous breakdown, whatever that also means, a nervous breakdown. So I think the, the bigger picture is that after COVID, people almost got forced to talk about their mental health and in, in almost in a good way because it became such a big topic that we basically neglected and then everybody knows who has pretty much everybody has topics around them or her that has to be addressed and everybody knows if you don't address these topics it eventually also starts to affect your physical health 
And that's not even like some crazy spiritual California person who would say that. It's now actually um, on the cover of Spiegel magazine or somewhere. It's like, so it's not, it's nothing kind of um, that only um, kind of certain over spiritualized people would suggest when your mental health is not bad and is bad actually, and you would, and your body would suffer. So I think it's like a common sense now. And I think that's why also psychedelics can really be redefined to really work on this very crucial problem of the times right now amazing and thank you so much uh, i think you and the new health club definitely you know that that's that's an area of business uh, to to watch in the coming years i you know i can completely see how this will uh, yes. hopefully grow into yeah. something really substantial and will not become a you know a hive or fed which uh, you know it's just a, a quick firework and then sort of uh, mm. you know diminishes again but this is this is hopefully something that's there to stay because we need definitely need new solutions better solutions to the mental health crisis so thank you thank you it was super interesting great talking to you great questions absolutely thank you thank you Anne, Katalina, and thank you for listening and hope to see you all back next week thank you thank you